Uh, if you can open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Your Bible's already open, that's good. <laughs> um, this week I challenged my small group to read through the book of Ephesians. It's only six books long, but Glenn is going to be going through the book of Ephesians. So I challenged them to read through the book, the whole book, and um, then over the next few weeks as Glenn unpacks it, it will be a bit uh, more clear in our minds. So I encourage you all to do that. Um, so Ephesians chapter 1, and I'll just pray before we read that. Dear God, thank you um, that you provide your word for us, that we can read it, learn from it, um, have it unpacked for us by people knowledgeable in, in it. And thank you for Glenn that he can um, share some things out of this passage, and I pray that we will all receive something and, and go out this week in it. In your name we pray, Amen. So Ephesians chapter 1 is titled Unity in Christ. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us to be adopted as his son through Christ Jesus, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished lavished forgiveness sorry that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding and he made known to us the mystery of his will in according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment to bring, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head even Christ in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory and you also were included in Christ when you have when you heard the word of truth the gospel of your salvation having believed you were marked in him with a seal the promised holy spirit who has a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance to the saints, in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age but also in the one to come 
And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the, full, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here ends the reading. Thanks, Luke. Good, Good morning, everybody. Have you got your fans with you? I see a few people have, yes, well done. Feel free to find something to fan yourself with. It's a bit hot and stuffy this morning. Uh, for those who don't know me, uh, if you're visiting here today, welcome. My name's Glenn Decker. I'm one of the pastors here at One Hope. Uh, welcome if you're visiting. We, uh, as a church, um, uh, as Pete alluded to earlier, uh, spent last year and the sort of beginning of this year reading through the Bible uh, from in, in one year. And we finished that last week um, and we, I summed up a, a sermon uh, preaching from Revelation there from last week where we talked about um, discovering our first love. And so, uh, that's interesting. Uh, here we go. Deborah, can I swap? Because mine's blank. <laughs> Wait, hold on. I don't think I've got another one. <laughs> Sorry, I've only got the second page there. <laughs> That's interesting. Yeah, no, I just printed off this morning and realised it only printed on one side. Sorry about that, Deborah. But otherwise, I'm going to be uh, st stuck. Yo, your prophetic, <laughs> prophetic prayer this morning. <laughs> Yo, prayed this morning. If Glenn happens to lose his notes today, <laughs> may your spirit work through him. Well, maybe. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Um, so we, we looked at uh, the church of Ephesus and we saw that that church was a church who was active in doing lots of stuff uh, and lots of good stuff. Um, but there was this one issue um, that uh, the angel sort of brought to bear or Jesus brought to bear on them was, yeah, you're doing all that stuff, but you forgot the main point. And the main point is your love for me. Um, and he was saying, I want you to bring it back to rediscovering your first love. And we sort of reflected on that in terms of relationships that we have uh, with each other. Um, but again, the challenge, and we, and lots of us came up the front, we signed up, and we said this year uh, we're going to commit again to keeping Jesus first. We're going to work on our relationship with him, and we're going to, um, before we get into all the activity of the year and all the things that um, happen around church, we're going to ask ourselves, what's our purpose here? Uh, are we committed to him? Are we uh, living for him? Are we connected uh, to him? And I think I, I led you through that process um, that was for us as individuals, but it's for us collectively as a church. And particularly the New Testament, hold these two together. This is not a letter. This book is not just written to you. You can apply it to you, but it's actually written to the church. It's written to us collectively. And we've been talking about how can we encourage one another, spur one another to keep Christ first, keep him at the centre of all that we do uh, in this place, so that the accusation that was brought against the Ephesian church uh, wouldn't be brought against us as One Hope Community Church. Uh, we signed up um, uh, to, to doing that. We signed up to, uh, 
to looking as a, as a church to help us to actually use this year to discover uh, our purpose, to reassess what we're doing, to seeing are we keeping uh, first things first. And uh, this year, a church council would hope to uh, engage with us collectively as we explore that together, as we uh, come back to Jesus and focus uh, on him as we look at our uh, church this year. And I alluded to last week, and this is the beginning of it, that for the next couple of months, we're going to preach through the book of Ephesians. So um, back up Luke's comments, uh, just encourage you guys to read through the book of Ephesians, and I would say not just once, uh, but lots of times. Uh, Read through it, think on it, dwell on it, uh, use it, um, just sort of get immersed in it. Because uh, if you do that, that when we gather and we sort of preach, there's a sense that God sort of will work amongst us uh, through this book and speak to each other uh, collectively through this book. So I'm encouraging you to immerse yourself in the book of Ephesians for the next uh, couple of months. You might have your own devotional reading and stuff, that's fine, but also just engage with the book of Ephesians, taking time to uh, ponder it and explore it as well. Uh, so I wanted to start off with uh, the, uh, the town of Ephesus. Uh, if we go to the next slide. Um, and it just, it just sometimes I just like to remind people that uh, when you read this stuff, this, you know, these are real churches in real places. So you can still go to Ephesus today. Um, you can, it's in Turkey. You can go there today. And if you go onto any of the tourist sites or Google Ephesus, you'll come up with, you know, it's the, the Temple of Artemis. It's, you know, the amphitheater and this other one that comes up all the time. Do you know what it is? Yeah, toilets. They're now renowned for, uh, for having uh, public toilets and toilets, um, which is an interesting concept because they're all in a row together without any... Uh, um, I just thought it was funny. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> It kept coming out. But it's a real place. Real, um, just remember, this is a real letter that was written to real people and uh, in a context of a, a real church, of everyday sort of life. Because um, sometimes I think we can just oh, fob it off. Or these are just words out there and stuff like that. But this is uh, real. Paul wrote this to the, book, uh, to the letter to the Ephesians. Uh, it was probably written around 60 A.D., which is pretty remarkable in and of itself in terms of, you know, Jesus was sort of around till 33 AD or thereabouts, and this is within, you know, sort of 30 years of his life. It's, it's recorded here. A church has started quite a fair way away from, you know, Jerusalem and where all the Jesus stuff happened, and now uh, there's churches planted uh, around, um, or right around uh, the Mediterranean. And we're seeing uh, God's gospel expanded. He was probably in prison at the time. You'll pick that up. Uh, It's a good thing to have um, because at that time, people were probably embarrassed to have someone like Paul write to them because he's actually in prison. What sort of a leader is he? What sort of, uh, you know, apostle is he? Is he sort of captured away in in, um, or locked away in prison? Uh, What's unique, and I think I alluded to it last week about this letter, is that this is one of the letters that uh, is written to the churches that has no issues. There's no sort of major thing that he's actually trying to sort out here. And remember, we talked last week, um, when we get to Revelation, there is issues with the church. Uh, When you get to Timothy, if you read the book of Timothy, Timothy was the pastor in the church in Ephesus, and stuff is coming up there. There's problems occurring there. And so along the way, uh, they have lost uh, their path. And so this, we're going back to Ephesians, because this is where they're in their first love 
period. They're in their honeymoon period. They're just discovering Jesus. Uh, ch- uh, Paul has planted the church there. Uh, it's up and running, and he sort of has gone back and is writing uh, this letter of encouragement. And so we can learn from here as we go through here some of the things that we need to keep front and central as we discover uh, what, it, you know, what our first love is and how to uh, live as a church that's uh, on fire to Jesus or for Jesus. And as I said earlier in some of the sermons that I preached this year already, the way that Paul often encourages the people is to teach them theology. And that is uh, to get them into this understanding of who God is uh, and who they are because of him. And he does this in most of his letters. We'll go to the next slide, I think. Um, and he wants to do this. He, what he wants, he's saying, yep, you're going, you're on track, this is really good, and I just want you to remember again who God is. And he does lots of explaining in his letters about who God is, uh, how he works, and then also lots of time of explaining to the people, don't forget who you are now because of this truth. And that's what he does. He takes this theology, remember this concept of who God is, and remember that now applies to you because you're now a changed people. You're a new people, a people uh, created in the image of God, uh, recipients of the Holy Spirit. And uh, this is what, again, he does in the book of Ephesians. If you didn't pick it up, the first chapter um, sort of gets into some fairly sort of deep theology and deep understanding of uh, who God is and who they are because of him. And we're going to explore that a little bit as we go through here. And what he wants them to do, that's right, because he talks about, if you pick it up in this, in this chapter when Luke was reading, do you pick up how many times he says, I want you to remember, I want you to know this. And it, it's repeated all the way through Ephesians. He says, I want you to remember, don't forget this, this is who God is. I want you to remember, I want you to know this. Uh, lock it away uh, in your heads and your hearts. Um, and when we hear the word know, uh, we probably just apply it to knowledge. We just think it's knowledge. Uh, the biblical sort of understanding of no, and probably sort of coming out of the Hebrew understanding of no, is no is to um, sort of to have a, a total understanding of this um, in our hearts. It's sort of an emotional connection to God. It's just not to know a list of things, but it actually means I know this because I have a relationship with this person. I know because it, it affects the way I think, act, and it affects my emotions. Uh, and particularly, like in the, um, in the Old Testament, uh, when uh, the writers used the word know in terms of explaining this relationship between God and his people, it actually has sort of sexual connotations. And it's talking about the intimacy of a husband and a wife. Uh, and that level of intimacy is what I want you to have with God. That's how deep I want you to go. That's how I want you to be connected with God, like a husband and a wife in the most intimate place that they can be. That's how deep I want you to go and to know this love that God has for you. So when you read the word no, don't just list it off as a list of things that I can, and can list off and know about God or know about Jesus. It's more about how does this affect the way I live? How does this affect uh, my emotions? How does this affect every decision that I make? And so he says, I want you to know this. I want you to know the deep, deep love of God. And I found this image uh, this week. Um, I was just sort of trying to 
trying to capture something as we go through the book of Ephesians about um, being in the depth of God's love. And I'm actually going to ask you guys um, too to participate in this. I think I put something on Facebook this week that as we read through the book of Ephesians, if you can uh, put on Facebook or email to me just images that you think capture an expression of God's love. Um, the depth of it or the intricacies of it or the way it affects you. Or as you're reading through Ephesians, I was reading this um, verse and it just just captured me and I went and took a photo of something because that reminded me. Or it it reminded me of this poem or it reminded... So that we can actually engage together and encourage one another together how this word is actually affecting us and we seek to communicate it to each other. So this is one that I was just sort of... um, A guy sort of just totally immersed... Uh, in the ocean Uh, and later on Paul talks about um, he prays for them he says I I pray that you would know how high uh, sorry how wide and long and high and deep the love of God is and he's just totally surrounded uh, and and uh, captured by this love of God and for me this sort of is an image of someone uh, uh, encouraging us to know God to the depths that we're just totally immersed in his love in his grace, in his mercy, knowing him uh, in his depth, uh, in the depth of his love for us. And as I've said to you, and part of the picture thing is, I don't want that just for you. It's not just for you. Yes, it applies to you as individuals, but it's written to us collectively. And he wants us, so we need to encourage one another in this, remind one another, tell each other uh, about uh, this love. And like we've said in discovering the first love stuff, like um, you know, a marriage that you have to keep uh, a marriage vibrant, we know if you're in a marriage relationship, you actually have to work at it. It actually takes uh, intention. You have to be intentional about building things into your life so that you have uh, times and spaces that you can know and experience this. Uh, I think I alluded to you last week about relationship. What do you got to do in a relationship? Three things. Yeah, what were the versions of communication? Talking, listening, and what was the third one? Doing. And as we talk, listen, and do things in a relationship, we actually grow in love for one another. It's the same with God. Taking time to pray with Him, um, and and taking time to listen to Him in His Word and um, through His Spirit. But then I told you the other one about doing things together. Wherever you go, you do it with God. And you go on adventures with God and you take risks for God, or with God. So think about that as we are trying to keep this relationship vibrant with God as we go into another year. Um, if we go to the next slide and then, um, yeah, so I, I've, I've tried to sum up the whole sort of theme of Ephesians. And I th- I, I'm sort of with this one, but I'm open to other suggestions. Uh, because what Paul does is he sort of gets people to go deep into this theology, deep into understanding who God He says it's very practical. Because if you read what, what happens, it changes the way you live. And as you go through the letter, he'll start to say, if this is true, if this is your reality, then this is probably the way you're going to live. And he starts to talk about relationships between husbands and wives, uh, children and um, parents. He talks about how um, Christians act and live. And so there's this whole idea that uh, this book, I think, is taking us into the depths of God's love. It's sort of helping us to sort of plumb their depths and understand them so that it will change the way we live. Because if it doesn't change the way we live, then it's just a, a list of knowledge that we know. 
And, it, and so I think Ephesians is saying, you, want, you need to know the depths of God's love and it's going to change the way that you live. If anyone can come up with something better, send them to me. I'm open to them. Uh, I'm willing to engage with you on uh, different thoughts and expressions uh, of this letter. Because, yeah, as I've alluded to, if we understand the depth of God's love in this, if we understand who he is, it changes everything. It should change. It should change every decision that we make. Every decision that we make, everything that we do, should somehow come out of this understanding of God's love for us, of who he is and who we are because of him. It changes our priorities. Uh, it changes our attitudes. I, I thought of this example. Um, Carolyn will hold me to account on this one. Um, I have this thing in the morning, so um, when Coraline goes to work, I get the boys ready and do stuff. Uh, and one of Coraline's pets' hates is uh, the benches, kitchen, uh, you know, the benches not being cleaned. Um, and, and so I do this thing where I actually clean the benches. Most times, Coral, okay, most times. <laughs> I know there's not times where... I, and, I, and I wipe up the crumbs and clean it and do it. And I have become motivated to do that by her. Pretty well, some of the only time I do it, of why I do it. Because I so love my wife <laughs> that I'll clean the benches. <laughs> okay, just, just apply that to church. Do you do what you do in church? Because it has to be done. Is there stuff that has to be done? <laughs> or because God will get angry? Is that why, is that why you do what you do? Because God will get angry or other people will get angry? You see, that's when we've lost our first love. And if that's our motivation for doing church and our motivation, then we've actually lost our first love. And he's saying, I want you to get back. I want you to understand this. I want your motivation to be love for God in all that you do. And we find this applied to us, isn't it? And m many Christians will talk about this and explain this as they understand the love of God somehow there's an inexplicable joy that raises up there they, they become courage in suffering there becomes hope in hopelessness there becomes peace in turmoil as we understand who God is and who we are because of it do you realize that so as we immerse ourselves in that love it changes the way we live it changes our attitudes to what we do and how we do it So just quickly, uh, we'll go to the next slide and we'll just quickly go through um, this uh, first chapter. Um, the first, <laughs> I like this, this is funny. The first 14 verses of this chapter in the Greek is one sentence. Okay, so it's just, and I get the sense that Paul starts to write this letter and he says, you know, you know greetings and grace and, um, and I just want you to know that you've got every spiritual blessing in Christ. And he just goes, blah, 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 and he just can't stop himself expressing um, who God is and who they are because I want you to remember this, and, and this is what he wants them to remember. This is, he sort of blurts out theology for them and it's sort of written in this sort of just, he's so captured by this, it comes out in one sentence. Um, he, he reminds them, it's the, cre the creator of the universe. God is the creator of the universe. Um, and he's getting them to back to, if you believe who Jesus is, you believe who God is, remember, he is the one who created the universe. 
Uh, he is something well beyond us. He's, he knows the stars. Uh, he put them in place. He knows them by name. Just remember. So what is he getting? Remember there is this God who is over all, through all, who is so vast and majestic and wonderful. Remember that there is life after death. If, you know, there's a spiritual reality. Remember um, and know this. Put it into your heart that uh, there is a God who has created you in his image. You represent him. You are his created being. Remember this. Don't forget it. Know it because it affects the way uh, you love and have a relationship with God. It shapes the way you view the world. It shapes the way you view the people that you'll meet each day. If these people are created in the image of God, if these people are brothers and sisters because there is this creator God that we are all his family, this changes the way you treat people. It changes the way you treat the earth. If God made this earth and wants us to look after it, then you need to be concerned for the environment. And how is your life reflected of the fact that there is this creator God? It changes everything. I want you to remember there's this creator God. Um, Remember, you'll go through here and he goes, uh, remember this, that he chose us. And it's interesting here, and i just reinforce it for you. Uh, Notice that it's um, plural language. So he's not just, when we sometimes read the word you, we just think it's me. Uh, It's not me here, okay? He's saying, listen, read the language that he's using. He saved us, the church. He saved we and the you here, which you don't pick up, but you do when you read the Greek. It's the plural you. It's not me, it's us. And this letter is written to the church. It's for us to grasp this. We have to encourage one another in this. We as a church have to live in this reality, not just us as individuals, even though it applies to us and that's how move it out. So just uh, look at that. And, and God is the one who initiates this rescue and he talks about predestination here, that God's got this plan, uh, this mysterious truth that we're still trying to wrestle out. How does it work? And I've used that example before that you sort of have to hold these two intention. There's this idea that God has predestined all things and is over all things and when a hair won't fall from your head without him doing it and he knows all things and he chose you from the beginning of time. There's that rope there that we hold and is taught through the scriptures. And then and there's a rope on the other side, which is you have a free will. You have to choose. You have to uh, obey those sorts of things as well. And we have to somehow hold those two ropes in tension and uh, know that somewhere in heaven they, they connect and they're the same rope. And just remind ourselves there is a God who is over all, through all and in all. And yet we are called to respond to him. But remember, it's God who initiated this rescue and he's seeking you out and wants you to respond to his love and grace. Here's the other one. This is a big one. I've done this before here. The next one is in Christ. Count how many times the word in Christ appears in the first chapter. If you want to do that, you can do that now. Someone can let me know. Uh, just read through it and have a look. How many times is it? And so here again, just as he reminds them, he wants to get their theology right. As you believe on this, you've got to keep Christ at the center of this. Everything happens through him. Christianity, uh, the centers around Christ, who he is, uh, what he has done from the beginning. You know, he was there in existence from the beginning. He was sent by the Father to this earth. He was totally obedient to the Father. He lived and died. He was both man and God. Uh, He died in your place, paying the debt. He set us free. He rose to heaven and now sits at... He wants us to remember that everything is, is now available to you in Christ. 
if anyone's counted, has anyone counted? Six? Yeah, six. There's a couple of in use as well. In, in G oh, maybe it might, I think there's 14 I had in my head. That might have been two chapters, chapter one and two. But whatever it is, six or 14, sorry, I should have probably written that down. Um, but you just, it's pervasive. It's everything here. You get back to Jesus. Get back to your first love because all of this is possible through him. And your lives are changed because of it. And how does that come about? It comes about through faith, through those who believe. How is this uh, achieved to you? Paul uh, puts it out there again. All you need to do is believe that this is true. If you believe that this is true, that there is a creator God who sent his son to live in this, to die for you, then, uh, then you receive his grace. You don't have to do anything to earn it. So you don't have to do lots of stuff around church. You don't have to do lots of stuff. You don't have to do lots of devotions. You don't have to do anything to be a recipient of his, God, of his love. He just lavishes it on you and he gives it to you. He so loved the world. And then if we respond, in love, if we respond to that and receive that, that changes our lives. It's going to change the way we live. And so he says that this is enacted through faith, not by things that we do. It's done in the gospel. And the gospel here, <laughs> if you know the definition of the gospel, it's good word, uh, good... What did I, have? Why did I go blank on that? Good news, thank you. It's good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's good news. This, the fact that you are Christian, the fact that you believe this, should make you smile. Okay, It should make you happy. It should make you be excited about being here this morning. It's good news to you. Remember this gospel that has come to you and you have received it because it's changed your life. Everything changes from now. You are set on a path to eternity with him forever. And it uh, goes on to see, he's sealed by the Holy Spirit. This again, he's teaching theology here because what do we get? We get a triune God. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit who are working together to, for this to become a reality for you in your lives. And this Spirit is supernatural. It works in mysterious ways, ways that are not natural in this world, in our hearts and uh, physically as well. This is the God who lives in us. This is the Holy Spirit who helps you know. One of the roles of the Holy Spirit is to help you remember and know. And so we ask the Holy Spirit, help us to understand the depths of this love. Help us to be moved by it. So as you go through the book of Ephesians, please be asking and praying for the Spirit to move, to help you to know Him more. And ultimately, at the end of this passage, before... Or, um, before the break in the passage at verse 14, that one sentence, he says, this ultimately, end, this is for God's glory. Because if God has created all things and he's the one who's overall, this is for him. And the way you understand him and understand yourself results in something that reflects who he is and brings glory to his name. And so the purpose, um, or yeah, the, the reason for being that we have is to bring glory to God, to make him known, to shout his fame uh, on this earth so he lays out all of that theology and he just went, don't forget this because this changes everything if you believe this your lives are transformed you need to know it and the problem is and this is sort of back to the first love if we've been in this sort of relationship for a while we begin to forget it we begin to forget the, the vows that we made to each other we begin to forget what we why we entered a relationship he says, I don't want you to forget. I want you to get back to it. I want you to sink yourself deep into this love. 
And then next slide, we'll just, he, then he prays. And there's, in Ephesians, there's two prayers that Paul prays for the Ephesian church. And to me, they get to the heart of why he's writing this letter and what he wants the church to be uh, focused on. And so for this reason, which he's just outlined, all that theology, for the fact this is who, who God is and for the fact that it's, you've got to know who he is and who you are because of him and the fact that this is for his glory. I, I'm praying that you as a church will be like this. I'm praying that you will know him better, that you will know the hope, that you will know the power and that this will change everything, that you will know him as Father, Son and Spirit, that he will open the, the, heart, uh, the eyes of your hearts See, that's heart language. It's not just knowledge language now. He's saying, I want your hearts to be open to his love. I want you to know the depth of it. I want you to be surrounded in it. And he says there, I want you to know uh, the glorious riches of his saints. That's a, a line there. And, and I, I wrestled with what that meant. And I read some stuff this week about it. Um, and what he's saying is, when he's talking about, I want you to know the hope of this. I want you to know the hope of this. Um, the glorious riches of the saints are um, the idea of when God's saints, his people, are gathered together and they're living with God, God is going to glory in that. This is his ultimate purpose and reason, is for God to live with his people in glory. And so when Jesus comes back and the new heaven and the new earth is established, there is going to be the riches of God is just going to be so overwhelmed and in love and in awe that he's now living with his people the way it's meant to be. And there's a, t there's a sense um, that uh, through Jesus that we're already living that. We are ready to get to live in that hope that, Jesus, uh, that God is here in our midst. We've got to believe that God, the creator of the universe, meets with us as we meet as his people. There's a supernatural activity that's happening here. The creator of the universe wants to interact. He wants you to know how much he loves you. He wants you to remember that you are changed and transformed people. He wants you to know the depth of his love and he wants you to savor it and sink down deep into it. Because if we know that, we have that, it'll change the way we live. It'll give us inexplicable hope when we shouldn't have hope. It'll give us peace when we shouldn't have peace. It'll give us strength when we feel weak. It'll actually enable us to do the work that he's called us to do. And the other thing he says, I want you to know the power. And this verse has blown me away. Because you see what he says, what sort of power it is? I want you to know, because you believe in Jesus and you now have the Holy Spirit in you, believe this, or know this truth. You now have the power of the Holy Spirit and that's the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. Okay, that power now lives in you. That lives in us as a church. You have the power in you that can raise people from the dead. And we actually see it in the Bible, it's recorded. That the apostles raised people from the dead. You have the power to bring healing to people through the Spirit. You have the, ha the power to see lives transformed as you bring the, the gospel. And we, he's, he's, he's banked this on. Remember, there's this theology that he's painted. Remember who Jesus is, that he died, rose again, and now sits at the right hand of God? He sits at the right hand of God. That's the position of power. He now rules over the universe, and Christ, through his Spirit, reigns through us, his church. We have the power to live out this here on earth. 
the power of the miraculous, the power of the supernatural, but also just the power to get through day to day. The power to overcome your doubts is a supernatural power. If you're having doubts about faith and stuff, you say, God, help me overcome my doubts. The power to get through lonely nights. My life is crap. I can't understand it. No one likes me or whatever. This has happened. I can't even get through it. And that power, that power can work in us to remind you who you are. And often in those places, if, if we know this power, we can begin to remind ourselves, actually, I am a child of the living God. He so loved me that he sent his son to die. Jesus so loved me that he hung on a cross for me. Uh, the Holy Spirit so loves me that he comes. I am a new person. I am a child of the living God. And we begin to have a different attitude in our lives and decisions. But we can't do that in ourselves. We've got to do it together. That's why we need to encourage one another through that as we interact with this. That power is the power to overcome for us to be the church that he wants us to be. And he wants to remind us again, church, you have that power. You have that hope. Live in it. Understand it so it'll change everything. And as he finishes off, he remembers, he says, remember this again, that Christ is the head of the church and his body uh, is the head of the church, which is his body. Um, and the, the body is to follow the head idea. But do you hear what he says at the end of this chapter? Because it's quite remarkable. In verse 23, he says, which is his body, he's talking about the church, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Did you hear how you just described you? Do you hear how God just described you? That he so loves you, church, that he says you, as you sit here in this hall in Scoresby, you are the fullness of everything that he represents. That's who you are. And he says, don't forget that. Don't forget that God gave everything for you. He gave everything for you. Sink deep into it. Know its truth. Live in it and display his glory as you do so. We've heard that before, isn't it? That we as the church are Christ to the world now. We continue on his vision, his message in this. So as we go through the next few months reading through Ephesians, can I ask you, we'll go to the next, last slide, can I ask you to do this, is to lead, live deep, to actually take time and space and place, both individually and corporately, in your small groups, in your grow groups, in your ministry, to sink deep into the love of God. It will transform your life and it will transform this church. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father,